All right. Well, um, I guess I want to start like I, a little bit like I did last week by asking you to provide just some top-of-mind responses to a question. It's a pretty broad question. I can't remember specifically if this is the question I asked last week or not. I, I didn't listen to the tape or anything. I, but I want to know, I guess I want to get a, just a general sense from you. If you think about the, the general status of the New Testament church in our day and time, um, what do you think is most concerning to you about the church, broadly speaking? What's most concerning to you? What do you think is most adversely affecting uh, the church in its mission and its witness and its effectiveness in the world today? Very broad question, but yeah. I think the lack of uh, doctrinal clarity, doctrinal conviction, the sort of um, skewing toward relativism. And okay. I remember, and I'll I just tell you, when I was in high school, I was on a, I was on a field trip um, to a, it was a tennis match, and um, my partner, my devil's partner, he had asked me, uh, it, you know, he came out of sort of a Buddhist background, he said, what is this, this, know, Christianity I hear you guys talking about. And I see you praying before the matches and stuff like that. <laughs> and I distinctly remember having the hardest time explaining to him the gospel. Like, just a succinct, you will, you know, you will be judged by a holy and righteous God. And I remember when I did finally get it out, I said, and that's what it means to me, you know. And I was just like, oh, you know, later on I realized how, <laughs> how awful that was. So does Owen. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that, it just spelled out what I believed to be true. I wasn't dogmatic about it at all. Yeah. That's what was true for me. Yeah. And so, it's not foolishness. But. All right. So, lack of doctrinal clarity. What else? Low view of Scripture. Low view of Scripture, okay. Um, putting too much effort towards uh, ministries that are not the church's job. Okay. So, getting off mission in terms of your ministry focus, maybe. Okay, what else? I think the desire to make people feel comfortable with okay. church. Okay. Consumer driven. Okay. S- s- sort of two sides of the same coin there. Making people feel comfortable, being consumer driven kind of thing, yeah. Abandonment of scripture. Okay. The abandonment of scripture altogether, maybe. All right. Well, I will, I will sort of encapsulate all of that. Um, I have the luxury of knowing what I want to talk about. Uh, um, So I'll I'll encapsulate all that because I think it all sort of ties into um, our focus for today as we continue on in our study of survey of church history and and really the first 30 years as we're surveying through uh, Luke's history and Acts. Um, I think that all of this can be rolled up under sort of two, um, two prongs of the same kind of issue. Um, one would be a diminishing discernment amongst God's people, a diminishment of just general discernment. What is true? Testing the spirits. What is good? What is evil? What is right? What is wrong? What is truth? What is error? And, and, the, and the thought discipline, the work that's required to sustain that, that's on one side. On the other side is a diminishment in truly biblical spiritual leadership. So you could just say that 
both are sort of interdependent upon one another. One causes the other, or one is contributes to the other. I mean, it's sort of, to me, all a part of the same ultimate challenge and has many effects, and, and some of them, you know, you've already mentioned, and I, I think that, you know, what we're describing today is a, is a result of these two things. And yet we come to Ephesians chapter 20, the latter part of Ephesians chapter 20, and you have this really significant portion of, of Acts that's dedicated to the Apostle Paul's address to the Ephesian elders, these leaders that had been established there at the church of, at Ephesus, where the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey spent most of his time, three years he spent ministering in Ephesus. There's a lot of content uh, in Scripture, a lot of biblical content that actually centers around Ephesus. Um, you've got First Tim, Timothy, where Timothy is actually ministering in, in Ephesus. You've got a lot of references to people being sent to Ephesus. You've got Ephesians, which was written to the church at Ephesus. It was intended to be a broadly applicable and sort of a circular letter that would be circulated around other churches, but nevertheless, it was addressed to the church at Ephesus. So there's a lot of attention in Scripture that centers around uh, Ephesus. Of course, you have uh, Revelation uh, in Revelation 2, one of the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor is addressed to Ephesus, and we'll look at that briefly toward the end. So there's a lot of focus on this particular group of believers. And so I think it's particularly um, significant, not only in just terms of the volume of narrative that Luke devotes to this address to the Ephesian elders, but its content and, and the fact that Ephesians represents such a big part of the New Testament church and its formation and its ministry, particularly there in Asia Minor, but ultimately in terms of how God used those people or the ministry among those people to bring out biblical truth that we are drawing upon even today. You have this address in Ephesians chapter 20, verses 17 to 38, and it's really this phenomenal portrait, this phenomenal sort of profile of um, genuine, authentic, biblical, spiritual leadership. But I think that on the flip side, going back to sort of the statement that I made in response to some of your, your contributions of ideas about the state of the church, on the flip side, this is also instructive for all of us to be able to identify what constitutes leadership in the church so that we can be discerning about that, so that we can make sure that, that we are sitting under leadership, so that the teaching that we're receiving, so that those who are responsible for leading the congregation down a path of whatever it might be, toward ministry focus or toward any types of stewardship responsibilities or whatever it might be, that we're, we're discerning about that, that we have a framework in mind and a certain kind of profile in mind that informs how we evaluate whether we are being shepherded in the way that would be honoring to the Lord and that would be according to the Scriptures. So I think that this passage that gives us this, 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 this declaration, this, this uh, um, address to the Ephesian elders, provides both of those two things. It, it provides a great profile for spiritual leadership in the congregation, but it also helps those in the congregation, the sheep, if you will, be able to be discerning about how they're being led and what is the profile of the people that are in positions of, of spiritual leadership and, and how we can discern uh, whether or not that leadership is genuinely biblical and honoring to the Lord and, 
and worthy of our submission uh, as we're called to as God's people. So I want to turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 20, and we're going to read verses 17 to 38, and we're going to talk about uh, this profile of genuine spiritual leadership with an eye to not only understanding what we should look like as we seek to be leaders ourselves amongst God's people, but also as we are all followers of leadership in the church, we can be discerning about what that should really look like in a word. What did I say? Ephesians chapter 20, so I'm already a heretic. I've written my own addition to the Bible. No. Uh, so that's one thing. Don't allow anyone to add to the scripture. Call them out on that. Yes, Acts chapter 20. I'm sorry. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. And just to refresh your memory, the Apostle Paul had spent his time in Ephesus and, and raised no small uh, amount of... Uh, of activity there while he was in Ephesus. You have, uh, we talked about this last week, but you have uh, several different encounters there and, and, and incidents there that, that really compel him to, be, uh, to leave Ephesus and uh, under the encouragement and advice of others to leave Ephesus, uh, the last of which was the fact that they had made such an impact um, there in Ephesus with the gospel that uh, the, the craftsmen who made the idols, the little trinket idols, um, to the goddess of, of Artemis, uh, the idol worship trade, if you will, was being impacted. The, the, the gospel witness and the effect of the ministry of the gospel in that community was actually affecting the idolatrous economy, if you will. And so a riot ensued. And ultimately, the Apostle Paul uh, finds himself in Miletus, and he calls for the Ephesian elders to come to him because he's, he's anticipating that he, he won't possibly see them again as he's seeking to make his way to Jerusalem uh, at the conclusion of this, this missionary journey. So in verse 17 of Acts chapter 20, it starts this way. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. 
And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when He had said these things, He knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. When you look at this particular address the Apostle Paul has with these Ephesian elders, there's obviously a lot that could be said. There's a lot of of exegesis that we could do throughout this entire section. We could draw in a lot of a lot of thoughts and a lot of information. But I just want to kind of continue in this survey fashion and and use this narrative to draw out from it some characteristics that I think are um, essential for spiritual leadership in the church. And really, we should be discerning about evaluating spiritual leadership according to these characteristics. These are just a few. There's certainly more. This is not a comprehensive or exhaustive list, but I think from this narrative, it really does serve as a a really helpful uh, profile for us to operate against, a really helpful framework for us to to think about. The first one I would draw your attention to is what you see in this narrative and what I think should be characteristic of faithful, godly, spiritual leadership is an unassailable faithfulness in real time unassailable in that you can't bring a, a viable charge against it. It's, it's unassailable in its faithfulness, and it's faithfulness that is lived out and fleshed out in real time. It's not faithfulness that is viewed from a distance. Note, note the, the passages that you see that kind of give you an indication of this. In verse 1, it starts off, the Apostle Paul says, You yourselves know. How I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. He's saying, I, I, I lived this message out. I lived this gospel out. I lived this ministry of the kingdom out in front of you day in and day out. And you saw it and you know it. I would just, I would just emphasize to all of us that spiritual leaders in the context of God's people, in the context of the church, is faithfulness that is fleshed out in real time. It is not something that is observed from afar, from a distance, from a, a teaching lectern or from a pulpit, and that's it. It's lived out in real time. You see it again in verse 31, when he's, he's warning them about these wolves and these false teachers. He says, therefore, be alert, remembering. In other words, recall, bring to recollection that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. You saw the heart of my ministry. Remember that. Verses 33 to 35, another sort of indication of this. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. And then verse 34, that same phrase again. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and that those who are with me and to those who are with me. And in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. In other words, This kind of faithfulness that we're talking about amongst leaders in the church is the kind of faithfulness that people can see and witness and testify to because it's a a kind of leadership and it's a kind of faithfulness in ministry that is done in real time. It's done up close and personal. 
It's tangible. It's tactile in nature. And the people of God should be able to see it and witness it on a day-to-day basis. And any time you find in the context of a ministry or in the context of a church, you find leadership that is somehow cloistered off from the rest of the people. Or you find that there's a little bit of a distance that always seems to be there between the people who are supposed to be leading and the people that are supposed to be following. That should be a warning sign. That should be a point of alerted discernment. Is there something awry here? Faithful spiritual leadership is leadership that is demonstrating that faithfulness in active, observable, you-yourselves-know kind of ways, as it was there in Ephesus that the Apostle Paul attested to. Well, another characteristic that you see here is what I've just termed a selfless courage in real suffering. Selfless courage. Now, it's interesting, when you, when you see this profile, you see the Apostle Paul describing this, um, oftentimes, it's, it's, it's easy for us to equate humility and selflessness with meekness or uh, reservedness or even some shade of um, sort of absence from the front line of the battle, if you will. That somehow we can equate humility with uh, an un, a reservedness that kind of takes you out of the front lines. And that's not what you see from the Apostle Paul. You see clear evidence of selflessness, of self-sacrifice, that is fueled with courage from God. And it's, and it's this kind of selfless courage that manifests itself even in the face of very, very real painful suffering. The second part of verse 18, and through verse 19, he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Verse 19, Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. So we've seen this over and over again where the Apostle Paul goes into a town and he starts off in the synagogue and he's met with some degree of response, but then he's also met almost immediately with a level of disdain or even violence from the Jews who are rejecting the gospel. And so he's just repeating that refrain here and saying, you saw that I, with humility, with tears, but without shying away, I endured these trials because of all these plots and all these efforts by the Jews to silence me. He goes on in verse 20 to 21, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house. And then verse 21, So the Jews that were always coming at me, always assaulting me, always seeking to have me stoned or have me put on trial by the Romans or having me run out of town over and over again, I did not shrink from declaring to you, but then in verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. That never stopped me. Of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, in spite of, in the face of, every bit of animosity and persecution and trial, even through tears, I did not shrink back. He goes on in verse 22, And now... Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Well, people were saying, don't go to Jerusalem. Why would you do that? 
Well, I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit. This is what I must do. Knowing that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Or, if you want to know more clearly, more vividly, what was in the Apostle Paul's heart, what was shaping his thinking in, 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 in developing and informing this selfless courage, even in the face of suffering. Verse 24, the first part, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Why go to Jerusalem when you know that afflictions and imprisonment await you? It's not my life. It's not about me. I go because I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit to do this. This is what I must do. So, I I move forward with courage because I'm not my own. This is not my show. There's a selfless courage that is courageous and selfless even in the midst of suffering, in real suffering, difficult suffering. He goes on, verse 24, the first part, or excuse me, verse 27, again, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, if you think about the nature of, uh, of spiritual leadership, or I should say leadership uh, in the church, you guys cited some of this. The tendency today is to try to figure out what kind of message that's going to gain, ultimately going to gain me the most audience. That's really what it's about. I mean, you can't, I mean, it, you can cast it in terms of, um, you know, what's going to make the gospel most appealing to the most numbers of people. I mean, you can cast it in those terms. But I'm just telling you, I look in Scripture and I look in my own heart and I know the heart of men. And it is oriented toward love me, like me, make me feel good about me. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute in terms of, in terms of the context of leadership. And so if we're constantly looking to a, 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 um, sort of augment the message you know, change our approach a little bit, tweak it here on the edges, let's get into a room and whiteboard a new way to do this or a new way to say that, if that's what we're preoccupied with, because we want to make sure that the message of the gospel, according to our cleverness, has the widest quote-unquote appeal, what's that about? That's about not facing public perceptions of failure. Why aren't there more people at your show? Why, why, don't, why is your church not growing? You know, what, what's going on? I mean, how, look, at the, look at this church down the road. Look how big and giant all these people are coming to it, and yours is so small. I'm telling you, there is a, a very real um, and very dangerous temptation amongst those in spiritual leadership or church leadership to get co-opted into notions of self-aggrandizement, of I need people to like me. I need people to respond to my teaching, to respond to my... I need that. And that can be deadly in in leadership. The Apostle Paul, not so much. Not so much. He was willing to face suffering, bring the message to those who he knew would likely, in some meaningful number, resist it, utterly reject it, but not just reject the message, but reject him and want him dead. That's a selfless courage in the midst of real suffering. And that's one of the characteristics of genuine, authentic, biblical, spiritual leadership. It's not about the leader. It's not about the person. It's about the gospel. It's about the mission. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about God's word. That's it. And so if, if suffering comes, or if 
taking a particular step or communicating a certain message brings ridicule or shame or people want to, to fall off because they, can't, they, they don't have ears to hear anymore, that's, that's the consequence of faithfulness and leadership. That's just the way it goes. And there is a real danger for anyone who is in any kind of public forum of leadership to not be able to be, to not maintain courage, but to cave to their own desire for popularity and for being liked and for being appreciated and for being affirmed in what they're doing. It's very dangerous. True leadership is characterized by selfish courage and real suffering. Well, a third one we see here in this account to the Ephesian elders is what I've just called relentless awareness of real threats. Relentless awareness of real threats. Of course, you see this as the Apostle Paul is addressing them. Starting in verse 28, he tells them, first of all, pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Now, he goes on to talk about threats that come from without, but his first point of priority for the Ephesian elders is you need to pay attention to yourselves. Like, you're a threat, potentially. There's a threat that lies within you, potentially. And, and genuine spiritual leaders are aware that, you know what? There's definitely threats of false teaching that might come in and influence the flock. There's certainly things and influences in the world that might draw them away from faithfulness and devotion to Christ. Certainly that's there. But you know what? I could be a threat to them. If I'm in a position of spiritual leadership of any kind or in any form... I need to watch myself, first and foremost. And so the Apostle Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves. And he goes on to elaborate what can happen or what you should expect to happen. In verse 30, he says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. From among your own selves. Yeah, he talks about the wolves that are going to come from without. Surely that's a real threat that that he draws attention to. But man, think about that. Think about the nature of how effective someone who is well entrenched and ingrained in a position of leadership can influence and draw people away themselves. And so there's an awareness that, there, that, that, that I, as a leader, Sunday school teacher, small group leader, one-on-one counselor of another, anyone who's providing some type of spiritual oversight or leadership, I have the potential to be a threat. I need to watch myself. Pay, pay careful attention to yourselves. He goes on, and this, I think this is really a fascinating and a very insightful thing that's inserted here in this narrative. In a sense, when you read it, it kind of feels like it's a little bit out of place. But not so much when you think about the nature of of leadership and some of the temptations of leadership. In verses 33 to 35, he talks about how he coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. In other words, he's bringing out this this reality that that was a characteristic of him in Ephesus, that he worked with his own hands. He provided for his own needs. In other words, he wasn't there coveting what other people had. He wasn't there, he wasn't engaged in leadership and influence for selfish or greedy gain. And over and over again in Scripture, you see this caution. For those who are in leadership to succumb to greedy, 
self-centered gain. And he's saying, that wasn't characteristic of me. I demonstrated to you what hard work with my own hands looks like. And I demonstrated to you that I was doing that to take care of those in need. So much so that it was a, it was, it was a contrast to anyone that would come in your midst and seek selfish gain. And the false teachers that he describes over and over again in the New Testament are those that are doing what they're doing for selfish gain. So the real threats, when you talk about watching yourself, it's a very real threat that you would begin to covet the applause of men and you would begin to love the things of this world that your position and that your stature might gain you. It's a real threat. Imagine the churches that major on materialism as a sign of true spirituality. Imagine the chasm that that is from what Scripture teaches and what they're basing their entire ministry on. It's alarming when you actually think about it in light of this passage of Scripture. Well, the real threats also can come from without. He certainly references those, the wolves, uh, I know that after my departure, verse 29, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So there's certainly a need for those in leadership to pay attention to the threats that could come from without and to be relentless about that. And he gives this, this image of wolves that if they come in among sheep can do tremendous harm. In fact, so much so that they don't even spare the flock at all. So these are real threats that... Genuine, godly, spiritual leaders are relentlessly aware of. Relentlessly aware of. When I think about some of the, the models, you guys gave some reference to some of this. Some of, some of the models of ministry that have taken root in our, in our culture here in America and have become so popular, there is a stated intention in these ministries, to make it easy, quote-unquote, for people to come to faith. In other words, the cleverness of the ministers and their ideas about how to do church literally has the power to make it easier for people to come to faith. Those are stated intentions. Now, I'm not talking about talking in obscure terms where nobody can understand a thing that you're saying and you know, using big theological words with people to try to impress them. I'm not talking about not being plain spoken. In fact, when you look at the Apostle Paul, if anyone could have spoken in profound and deep theological terms, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But he even says to the Corinthians, when I was among you, I claimed to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So the Apostle Paul exemplified straightforward gospel witness over and over and over again. But it's this idea that failing to realize that just like Luke tells us, or actually he's, he's quoting Paul earlier in Acts, I think it's maybe Acts chapter 14, uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, where he says that through much pain and suffering we will enter the kingdom of God. That, that, that coming to faith in Christ, just like he says here, I preach the gospel of repentance and faith. You must change. You must abandon everything that you thought to be true. You must die to yourself and your selfish notions about how you're going to save yourself. You must abandon your lifestyle that you thought was somehow connecting you with the pantheon of gods and your sensual pursuits. You must abandon all of that. You must change. That's a hard message. 
But to, to see that the, the threats that come from without, when we live in a culture and a society where people are oriented toward making it easier and easier and easier for us to just believe. Just believe this message as though that's the extent of the gospel. These are real threats. And we must be relentless and relentlessly aware of them and protecting the flock against them. Well, the last characteristic I would draw your attention to is, is genuine affection for real people. The spiritual leaders, truly Christ-like, truly biblical spiritual leaders, have genuine affection for real people. Now, it's very easy for all of us, regardless of whether we're executing some role of leadership or not, for all of us, to use people, right? I mean, if we're just honest, like we have to fight against using people for our own ends. That, that's, that's kind of our, our nature, right? We have our own ideas about how our day should go. I mean, just think about this. The last time someone pulled in front of you in traffic, right, they, were getting in the, they were getting in your way. How dare they? I mean, that turns into, for some of you, not for me, of course, but for some of you, that turns into a whole inner conflict, right? I mean, it's like, how dare they? I mean, if you really, if you really peel that back and look at what's really going on there, when someone inconveniences you, which, by the way, it's, it, the, the intellectual exercise there is pretty convicting because that kind of stuff happens all the time, but we act surprised every time it does. How could this possibly be happening, and yet it happens thousands and thousands and thousands of times a day to everybody, but the fact of the matter is, is that we, we like it when people operate sort of in our stream of what's going to make our lives smooth and easy. Now, I don't mean to you know, drag us all down to just these self-centered, self-absorbed people, but you know what I'm saying, right? We battle that. We have, to fight. we have to fight to be selfless. We have to fight to put others before ourselves, and that's why there's so many passages of Scripture that call us to that, right? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that in leadership, it's very easy for those in leadership to see the people that they're leading as tools, as, as objects, as, as sort of this mass, this group, this collective that we need to move in a certain way. True spiritual leadership is oriented toward genuine affection for real people. Not seeing people as sort of this mass or this collective or this object, this, this thing out there that we're supposed to kind of move in a direction that will help us accomplish our ministry objectives. Correct. Their particular whim of the quarter uh, or their vision casting. That's right. That's right. And it's not it's not genuine biblical leadership. He says in verse twenty eight, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. In other words, this this even the imagery itself is oriented toward Personal preciousness. You're talking about lambs here is the image that's, that's used uh, throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels. Jesus uses this image, imagery as well. But he's saying you need to look out for this, the, these people, these real people. You need to care for them. Now listen to how he goes on and makes it even, put a, puts an even finer point on it. He says, Be, pay careful attention to yourselves, verse 28, and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. These are precious souls 
that we're saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This is not a collective group that you're supposed to marshal to your own ends. Genuine spiritual leadership is characterized by genuine affection, genuine love for real people. The other examples, I've read them already, verse 31. For three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. You see this this heart of Paul that's just impassioned for the people that he's serving with. And then you see at the conclusion of this this assembly, verses 36 to 38, you see the response and you, you have to know that this was a relationship that was forged by genuine love and affection for God's people. It says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken that he would, they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. There was genuine love and affection there as a characteristic of Paul's leadership among them. And he's certainly modeling this for them to carry this forward. Now, this is a, this is a massive priority amongst God's people. Jesus in his high priestly prayer was very concerned about the love amongst God's people, was he not? I pray that they would love one another. That the world may know that you have sent me. May they be known by their love. Now here's the sad refrain in Revelation chapter 2 when Christ addresses the church at Ephesus some 30 or so years later uh, uh, through the apostle John on the island of Patmos. He says this in verses 1 to 5, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. So you have this commendation. The fierce wolves, the the calling out of false apostles, the protecting of the flock from false teaching, that was all in good check. The endurance and, the, incur- and, and the, the courage in the face of suffering seems like it's in, good, it's in good stead amongst these people. But then he says this, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. It's not enough. It's not enough for leaders or for a church to just be vigilant in doctrine and to be vigilant defenders of the truth against all Offenses that would come in and try to, to, to uh, take God's people down an errant path. It's not enough for us to be watching ourselves and our conduct and living upright lives. There is to be a genuine affection, a genuine love that is prompted by the love that we have received from God himself, but it manifests itself in genuine affection for one another. And the, the rebuke that the Ephesians receive from, from Christ himself, is a rebuke on that very point. Genuine spiritual leadership, true spiritual leadership, is characterized by a kind of love that would not warrant this kind of rebuke, but would warrant commendation. What a great story it would have been for the Ephesian letter to say, 
And I also affirm the fact that you have maintained a genuine affection for all God's people. Well, I just want to encourage all of us to recognize that the nature and the need for discernment amongst God's people and the need for us to hold each other accountable in these characteristics and these, this profile of leadership is paramount in our day and time. I do think that the, the threats to the church from outside and even potentially from within are very, very real. And it's going to require ongoing faithfulness and discernment of God's people to maintain faithfulness and to hopefully receive a complete commendation with no rebuke at the end. That's what I would hope for, for Faith Community Church in particular. Anybody have any final thoughts, comments before we close in prayer? the gospel like we get it every every Sunday um, without just I, I find that in my own life I tend towards church bashing how do we encourage our brothers and sisters that attend different fellowships but maybe aren't getting to drink as deeply from, from the word as we get well I mean I mean the, the easy initial response is I don't think church bashing usually works so if I could just like call that one out, you know, which I know that's not what I know. I know you weren't, weren't advocating that as like, well, my my number one go to is church bashing. And that's what I want to. But after that, what do I do? <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's a tough one. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that I think that I would just I would just echo what we see the Apostle Paul doing um, and just it's just about our own faithfulness. And, and, and about our, the genuineness of our spiritual life, it's vital, it's real, it's substantive. Um, it comes out in our natural communication that we don't view people who might not necessarily be following spiritual leadership that's honoring to the Lord or they're in a church or whatever, however you would characterize that, they're in a church that's not, that, that we, just, we just be ourselves full of the Spirit, full of grace, full of Christ, speak the word of truth and love, and just trust the Lord. Because I don't think that there's a, a particular tactic or anything that, that you can count on being effective. One thing might be an effective thing for one person, and another thing might be an effective angle for another. I, I don't think that there's a formula there. I think that you just have to hope that the genuineness of your faith, the clarity of your worldview and your understanding of Scripture the joy and stability that, that produces becomes compelling. Um, and, you know, Lord willing, they ask you for a reason for the hope that's within you. You know, so that would be my initial response anyway. Anyone else?
from even just in our family yeah. to say, no, because a lot of people would say, well, you guys think your church is the only church. It's like, no. Mm-hmm. No, but there's a reason we are where we are. Yeah. And just remembering there, but for the grace of God go I, always. I mean, I mean I'm... So... All right. Well, thank you guys. I'll pray for us and then we'll be dismissed.